Today, Matthew Holbrook and Jeff Lordson and Ed Trenner are preaching on proclaiming the gospel of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Due to health concerns regarding his voice, we actually videotaped Jeff, and so you will be seeing and hearing him on the screen. He is here with us, but we are going to see him on screen. And today is Mother's Day. You all know that. It's a day unlike any other day of the year. Lots of unique variables add to an already complicated life with lots of issues. And there's a lot of things that converge on Mother's Day. Joy and sadness. Gratefulness and regret. Fulfillment and longing. And those things meet on this day like no other time of year. And I think that Mother's Day is actually, like every other day, a perfect day that calls for the joyful proclamation of the gospel. The joyful proclamation of Jesus' victory over sin and death. And the new life that is available through Him. So I invite you today to focus with me on proclaiming the gospel. The reason we exist is to glorify God. To glorify God through lives transformed by that gospel. Methods and strategies are going to change, but the ultimate purpose of Christ's church never changes. The way we've worded our ultimate goal is that we want to be a, as a church, a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel and making disciples and sacrificially serving Jesus. Last week we looked at Christ-centered community. We looked at how churches that were established in Scripture lived in community. They worshipped together, prayed together, ate together, encouraged each other, sat under the apostles' teaching, shared with each other. They lived together in unity. They formed strong bonds with each other because they first looked to Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of their faith. And today, we're seeing really the first mark of Christ-centered community, proclaiming the gospel. The gospel is the good news about a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and how through His death and resurrection, we can be reconciled to God. It's big, It gives us the message that we are not accepted by God because of what we do. But it's based on what Jesus has done for us. The truth of this message has the power to radically transform your life. Our lives. I want you to take your Bibles. Turn to Acts chapter 2. When you find that, please stand with me to read God's word. I'm going to read verses 14 through 24 of Acts 2. It's true. Our lives are transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as you understand the gospel more deeply, you're going to see God's beauty more clearly. And you are going to have your heart's affection drawn to Him more fully. This is what Peter's getting at when he preaches on the day of Pentecost. Verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. 
men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. Loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we praise you for the privilege to be here. We thank you for your word. And we pray by your spirit that you would move in our hearts today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The proclamation of the gospel is central to all of the Christian life. It's what we can do here on earth that we won't be able to do in heaven, at least not in the same way. In heaven, we'll celebrate the gospel. Men from every tribe, tongue, and nation will together sing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. But here, here on earth, our ultimate value is to not just celebrate the gospel, but to proclaim the gospel. It's good news. God has overcome an infinite barrier between us and him through the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection to bring us to him, to give us him, to bring us to where we can stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. And so we proclaim this gospel. We proclaim it to those who have not heard, to those who do not believe, to each other as reminders, and to ourselves. Romans 1 says that sin is the result of suppressing the truth. 100% of the time when we sin, it's because we're suppressing the truth or we've forgotten the truth. We have forgotten or we don't understand in in the moment of our sin that God is more valuable, more precious, more joy-giving, more satisfying than any other pleasure in this world. And so we sin because we suppress the truth. We forget the truth. The gospel proclaims that truth. It reorients us to true reality, to what is truly valuable. And so it must be proclaimed so that truth will break through the the darkness of sin and shine a great light and give us a true vision of what is truly valuable. 
God himself. That's why Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's what we're called to do, proclaim the excellencies of God so that we would remember, so that the world would know. That's why the proclamation of the gospel is the very foundation of who we are as a church here at Grace. As we come to our text here this morning, we look at Acts chapter 2. We see Peter's first sermon, and it centers on the proclamation of the gospel. The setting here is Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. That's what Pentecost means, 50. It was a celebration of God's provision for the harvest, and Jews came from all over to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. The city was full of people. The stage was set previously in chapter 2 here. The Holy Spirit had come upon the apostles. There had been a great wind. Tongues of fire had, had landed on the apostles. They were speaking in languages they didn't know. And the city was in an uproar. Who are these men that they can speak in that way? And verse 13, it says, Others were mocking and saying, They're full of sweet wine. They must be drunk. How could they be speaking in these languages? The stage has been set. People's attention has have been grabbed for the proclamation of the gospel. And we're going to focus our time here this morning here to start on the boldness of Peter's proclamation as he stands here in verse 14 and proclaims the gospel. I want to look at three realities of Peter's bold proclamation. I'm just going to give you the whole outline right now to make it easy. Um, You'll see a pattern here. We're going to first look at the priority of preaching and then the posture of proclamation and then the power of prophecy. So first of all, the priority of preaching. I just want to note as we start here in verse 14 that the very first function of the church was the church had been brought together by God, the Holy Spirit had come, and Peter preached. That's the first thing that the church did. Before there was breaking of bread, before there was sharing and having all things in common, before they went house to house, before anything else happened, Peter preached. God's word was proclaimed, and that sets a priority and a pattern for our church today. Now, preaching and giving of sermons is not... The only thing, by any means, but it has a priority. There is something powerful that God does when his word is proclaimed to his people. John MacArthur was once speaking about George Whitfield and said the following, What a masterful man he was, speaking of Whitfield, and what a man of God and what a powerful preacher. And Whitfield preached in Bristol to 20,000 people regularly outside waiting for him to begin. Often he preached to 40,000 people. It is said that near Glasgow, Scotland, he preached to as many as 50 to 100,000 people. And this was without any publicity. This is just people drawn to the power of the word of God. And this is without a microphone. He was sometimes accused of rambling in his sermons and getting off the point. Who wouldn't preaching all day, every day like that? But he replied... If men will continue to ramble like lost sheep, I'll continue to ramble after them. So we here at Grace, we value the proclamation of the gospel. We value rambling after those who ramble. And we all come together on Sundays having gone all over the place over the course of the week. And the proclamation, the preaching of God's word brings us back, reorients us to the reality of truth that God is more valuable than anything else. And so we prioritize preaching. So we have the priority of preaching, and then we come, as we look at verse 14, and we see 
the posture of proclamation. And Peter models for us how the gospel is proclaimed. Look at verse 14 in Acts chapter 2. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven. First we note that Peter stands as opposed to the rabbis who would sit and teach. Peter was coming with earnestness with what he had to say. There was authority in his posture. There was power. And then it says he raised his voice. He was not meek. He had something to say, and he was going to say it loudly. And then it says, and he declared to them. This is a declaration. This is not guessing. This is not suggesting. This is not hoping. Peter had something to say on behalf of God, and he was going to declare it. And then he calls, and he says, let this be known to you. Give heed to my words. Pay attention. God is speaking. Pay attention. He's speaking authoritatively, boldly. He's, he has a posture of somebody who has something important to say. You know, when we proclaim the gospel, we are not to be bashful or to be shy, not to be apologetic. We want to be gracious. We want to be loving. We want to relate to people in their own way. We want to be creative. We want to connect with people. But when it comes to giving the truth, we do a disservice if we're watering down the gospel, if we're backing, backing off, if we're apologizing for what God's word has to say. We want to lovingly and graciously and boldly proclaim God's truth. Peter gives us a model for the posture we have in proclaiming the gospel. Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. That's why as we come back here to Acts chapter 2, Peter's main point is made in verse 21. He says, And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's where salvation comes from, calling on the name of the Lord. And Peter wanted to get to that point and to make that point boldly. But where does his main point come from? He's quoting from Joel chapter 2, and then later he quotes from Psalm chapter 16. You see, preaching is speaking for God. If we dare to speak for God, we better be sure that we represent him accurately. So Peter is not guessing at what God says. He just says what God says. He quotes Scripture, and then he explains it. And that brings us to our third point, the power of prophecy. The power of, proclama of the proclamation of the gospel is in God's word. Peter says in 2 Peter that no prophecy is a, of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. This is God's word. This is God speaking to us. And when we proclaim the gospel, whether it be in a sermon, we proclaim it, we say what God says, and we explain it. We don't add anything further to it. And when we share the gospel individually through relationships, we want to make sure that we are providing scripture. There's power in that scripture. There's power in what we have to, to say through the scripture. I was uh, on a plane uh, just uh, recently, and I sat next to this girl, and it turns out that uh, she was a fashion model and that she hung out with and dated Hollywood celebrities. And as far as social class goes or a coolness factor, we were in completely different worlds. I don't even have a coolness factor. But as we talked, mostly superficially, um, the conversation went on and a door opened and scripture came out of my mouth. I made a reference to being justified by faith and that we would have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it changed the entire conversation. And all of a sudden there was a hurt, broken girl in front of me who was looking for peace with God. It was God's word that broke through the superficiality of the conversation and all of a sudden changed everything. And I was able to connect her with a church that was local to where she lived and with some people that I knew. And 
She wrote it all down, and I am very confident that she is going and following up on that. But the point is, we shouldn't hold back from giving people God's word. There's power in the very word of God. And Peter, in making his proclamation, he made a point to quote scripture and explain the scripture. And that's what we're called to do when we proclaim God's word. So the proclamation of the gospel is imperative. And as we, uh, as we move on this morning, we need to understand what the content of that proclamation is. And uh, Jeff is going to continue with that here right now. All right, good morning. Um, let me give credits first. This is uh, brought to you by Goodyear Productions in uh, Brandon Vision this morning. So you're seeing something new for the first time. But anyway, good morning. And uh, I'm, I'm privileged to be here to share with you today, talking about the Christ-centered gospel. And I want to start because what we have is Peter speaking the first message to people after Jesus has risen from the dead. So it's the first proclamation of the gospel outside of what Jesus had taught. But I want to back up a little bit and talk to you about Peter. If you'll recall, Peter, when Jesus was being taken away, told the Lord that, hey, look, all these others may desert you, but I won't. Uh, I will even die for you. And Jesus told him specifically, will you really? Peter, tonight you're going to deny me three times. Uh, before the night is over. And that's exactly what happened. And when you look at the Gospel of Matthew, <clears throat> we find, as Jesus was being questioned, that at the last denial, Jesus turned and caught Peter's eye, and Peter caught Jesus' eye, and they looked at each other face to face. And Peter was torn. He was destroyed at that point in time, and he went away and wept bitterly. But that's not the end of the story, because in John chapter 21, we find Jesus and Peter encountering once again. And Jesus is questioning Peter, asking him very succinctly, Peter, do you love me? And Peter responds, yeah, I like you. Do you like me? Yeah, I like you. All right, Peter, do you like me? Yeah, I do. And what does Jesus say? Tend my sheep. He didn't do that for his sake. He did it for Peter's sake because he was encouraging Peter that the relationship that he and Jesus had wasn't interrupted. It was the same. It was going on. Peter, from that point forward, and we're going to see in the text this morning, that Peter goes forward with boldness and conviction, speaking to the men of Israel. God can use anyone, anyone, who's willing to be used. And that should be an encouragement to all of us when we look at the life of Peter and what transpired. So let's take a look at Acts chapter 2, verse 22. And uh, Pastor Mike read this for you already. So I'm not going to reread it, but I want to highlight some of the things that Peter was talking about. And the first thing we see in verse 22, um, 
he is talking to the men of Israel, and he says, listen, Jesus the Nazarene, uh, Peter is attesting to the authenticity, the reality of who Christ was to these people. He's not mincing his words. He's just saying, hey, Jesus was real. You saw him. You walked with him. And he is as real today as he was when he walked in Jerusalem and in Capernaum and in all those other cities. He is the same Jesus now that he was back then. No difference. And Peter reminds them of what they saw. Why? Because he wanted to confirm Jesus' presence on earth, acknowledging his reality and acknowledging his authority, which is really important, knowing what the authority of Jesus was. Because if he didn't have authority to do what he did, it doesn't mean anything. But he did have authority. And how did he do this? He said, God did it through the things that he did in the life of Jesus. The miracles and the signs that you saw, that was the evidence of the presence of God in Christ's life. And he's pointing it out to them, saying, you guys saw it. You were there. You saw the whole thing. You can't hide from it. It really happened, guys. And I'm just reminding you, I'm not telling you anything new. I'm just telling you what already transpired. They were witnesses. And Peter moves on to verse 23 and says, This man delivered over, over what? By the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. The plan that God had always was that Jesus was going to come and die for our sins. Period. That's it. That was always God's plan. And God knew that from the very beginning. That was what he set out to do, and that was what he accomplished. And Peter looks at them and says, You guys killed him, remember? You turned him over to wicked people who hung him on a cross, and you killed him. But it's not over. Let's talk about it some more. And if you take a look... And go back with me. I'm not going to have you turn there, but think for a moment back to Genesis chapter 3. We've got Adam and Eve. We've got Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And what does God tell them? Hey, I've created all this for you. Enjoy it. However, there's a tree in the midst of the garden. Don't eat from that fruit. Because in the day you eat, you're going to die. You will die. And what do they do? Eh, they decide they're going to go ahead and do it. Um, then we move on later in chapter 3, and we find God walking in the garden. After Adam and Eve decided they were going to eat from the fruit of the tree that they were told not to eat from. And God says, where are you? Now, let's be realistic. God knew where they were. He knew the whole time. He knew what they had done. It was really important that they understood what they had done and the question that God was asking. The question was, where are you? It wasn't because God wanted them to come out of the bushes. God wanted them to come to him and say, God, we blew it. 
you told us not to eat from the tree, but we did. We blew it. We're sorry. But that's not what they did, unfortunately. They decided they wanted to play the blame game. Um, Adam blamed the serpent. Excuse me. Eve blamed the serpent. And then Adam blamed God because God created Eve and gave him Eve. So it's, it's this. It's your fault. And Adam's blaming God. And I think we do that sometimes in our lives. It's, we don't want to accept responsibility. But what the gospel does is bring about conviction in the lives of people who hear it and comprehend it and by the act of the Holy Spirit are responsive to it. That's what the message that Peter is bringing to the folks is. There's conviction. And when we're convicted, God is saying, respond. Just do what I'm, I've called you to do the whole time. And then Peter says in verse 24, there's victory. How is there victory? God raised Jesus from the dead. Uh, God raised him from the dead, and Jesus is alive. He is alive, and he gave himself for us. And, and the focus is on the work that Jesus did. And I think it's important to understand that during the process, Jesus had the authority to do whatever he wanted to do. But you'll recall that earlier on he said, I lay down my life for the sheep. He voluntarily put his life on the line, gave his life, suffering the consequences of the cross and the beating and the death and the embarrassment and all that went with it and was put into a grave but there's victory in that he rose from the dead. God raised him from the dead victoriously. Why is that so important? Well, remember that God told Adam and Eve, if you eat from that tree, you're going to die. They expected when they had the encounter with God in the garden, they were going to die. I, I can only imagine that they were shaking and trembling when they heard God in the garden, and that's why they hid, that they knew they were going to die. But God didn't kill them. They died spiritually, but they didn't physically die. But God postponed the judgment until Jesus came into the world. That's the gospel. That's what Christ is all about. It is the fulfillment of God's judgment in the person of Jesus Christ, who we accept and who we believe and trust in. Jesus is alive. The Spirit now is working in the lives of His children and we are the instruments of God, but God, thank heavens, does the work in us and through us. We just kind of get to go along with God's plan and it's awesome. That is awesome. That's the awesomeness of our God. Um, and our hearts and lives need to be open for God's use. We're his children, collectively and individually, and we, his body, are the evidence of God 
being present here on earth. How? Well, let me give you a few examples. By the body meeting the needs of one another. By the body encouraging one another. Praying for each other. Bearing one another's burdens. We display joy and peace in the midst of adversity. The world can't do that. That's only possible if Christ is present in your life. Apart from that, it doesn't happen. Peter closes with verse 35 and what he says here. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemy a footstool for your feet. He uses the word until. Until to me means he's coming back. It's not over. Jesus is coming back. So until God makes the world his footstool, that word until is, is real. The gospel, as Peter proclaimed it, it's about Jesus. It has always been about Jesus. And it always will be about Jesus. Just like our lives should all be about Jesus. Thank you. Matthew and Jeff uh, both spoke of the gospel pretty clearly to us. We know what the message is that God has given us. And we know what the message is that we've responded to. And we know the power of that message in our own lives and the things that have changed in us, the, the guilt that has gone, the, uh, the direction and purpose in life that has come, uh, the new understanding of who we are as individuals and, and how we relate to him, to God, and how we relate to each other. Uh, we learned all these things through the gospel and our response to him and to the gospel. Uh, and it's this gospel that God calls on us to, to share. We are the church. Uh, the scriptures teach us that all who come to faith in Christ are members in the body of Christ. And Jesus is the head. The picture for us is this body, Jesus is the head, and all of us are the rest of the body. And the implication of that is as you and I together as the church live in the community, we are the physical representation of Jesus to those who are outside. And this church, the church, and us as a representation of it here in Orange, bear the privilege and the responsibility to speak that gospel and to live that gospel in the community in which we live, in the world in which we live. The last words that, uh, among the last words that Jesus had to share with his disciples, um, one I find in, uh, in Mark uh, chapter 15. Um, put my paper in the wrong place here. We're coming down here, though. In, um, in Mark chapter 15, 16, verse 15, that'll probably help you. Uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Jesus said to his disciples as they had gathered together after his resurrection, he said to them all, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. A command to, the, to those who were the church, who became the church, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. In Matthew chapter 28, 
he makes a statement to the church, to those, the disciples, the foundation of the church, the beginning. He said, and Jesus came to them all and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Is it pretty clear to us what, what Jesus wants us to be about as his body here on earth? He's called us to care for one another, to be community, to, to live a life that represents him together. And, and the love that we have for one another will show the whole world that he is. We know these things from his word. But he's called us as his body to proclaim his gospel and to live it in the world in which we live. The gospel is about us only in the sense that it changes us for the purpose of proclaiming it to others who have yet to hear. And that's why proclaiming the gospel is a priority of Grace Church of Orange. It's a priority for us together, and it's a priority for us individually. We read in Romans uh, chapter 10, verse 13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's also what Peter said in his message, if you remember from Acts chapter 2. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Seems to me they were both quoting Jesus when he said, If any man comes unto me, I will in no wise cast him out. In John chapter 6. So there's a message that's an open door to everybody on the face of this earth. But the question that Paul raises to the Romans, How shall they call on him whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without someone preaching? And how will they preach if they're not sent? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And you and I can deliver that by how we live, by the words that come out of our mouths. We're his representative here on earth. Second Corinthians chapter 5. It's a good, good place to hang out, to spend some time thinking about uh, just the whole chapter. But in verse 14... It says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that the one, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised again. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. These are things that you and I have experienced, at least in part. God's in process with us, all of us. But there's new things in us, and all these new things have come from us, from God, who through Christ has reconciled us to himself and given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Having been reconciled with God, he has now given each one of us the privilege of being reconcilers the deliverers of the message that reconciles others to God. He's given us that privilege. Jesus commanded it of us as a church. And as individuals, having come to faith, you have the privilege 
of sharing that same good news with somebody else who can be reconciled. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We're his representatives. Now, there's something that I think will be helpful to us out of the text in Acts 2. And that is, as you read down through Acts 2, you have uh, Peter's preached his whole message, and he's made that last statement that... uh, let all the house of Israel, in verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Uh, they now have recognized the guilt and their responsibility that they had delivered the Messiah over to death. And the next verse says this, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. I think the New American American Standard says they were pierced through. There was conviction that took place in them. They felt ownership to the things that they had heard and felt responsible. What do we do? They asked. And Peter said, repent and be baptized. And then he made a statement of promise that you and I can deliver to anybody we talk to. For the promise from God is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. What was it that cut cut them to the quick, to the heart, pierced them through? Both Matthew and, and Jeff spoke of that truth of the gospel that convicted the people that were there. And you and I can deliver that. And you and I can deliver a message, and I've delivered the message to, to, I won't give a number, uh, countless to me. And some have walked awake unconcerned and disinterested, and others have been quickened in their heart and convicted. And what is it that's taking place there? I find in the last night that Jesus was with his disciples, and it expressed there in John chapters 13 through 17, but in chapter 16... Uh, John recorded this for us, uh, a statement from Jesus. And when he, the helper, it says, that's the Holy Spirit in the context of the, of the verse. And when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's my responsibility to deliver. It's God's work to change the heart. It's God's work to convict. And that gives me a lot of ease and peace as I would share the gospel with somebody. Their coming to faith is not my specific responsibility. God is going to work in their heart and call and they'll respond or they won't respond. It's my responsibility to live a life consistent with the words I speak and to speak clearly the gospel. But that gives me freedom. In any context that I'm in, I can speak of Christ and faith and what he's doing in my life and my heart and share with them that God desires the same for them. I can do that, and I can give the gospel and the heart and the, and the context of the, of the gospel anywhere I'm at. It's dangerous to fly in a plane and be seated next to me. You're a captive audience for three hours, four hours, 17 hours, whatever it is, wherever I'm flying. 
But God at least has given me a gracious spirit about it, uh, the conversation. But the conversation is easy to move, even as, even as Matthew expressed. Uh, I say something of the Lord, something of hope. And uh, people that are looking are quick to respond, and the conversation moves. And you and I can do that. And it's the work of the Spirit, not you. You got that? That's what I'm trying to say. They were, they were cut to the heart in the message of Peter there in Acts chapter 2. Because the Spirit was present in Peter, in his words, and in the presence and the hearts of the people who were going to respond. And 3,000 that day responded. I don't know where we're going to put all 3,000 people when you all go out this week and start opening your mouth and speaking of Jesus. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Matthew and Jeff and Ed. Uh, in conclusion, as Matthew said, the gospel is based on the authoritative word of God, based on God's truth. So we should confidently and humbly announce it and share it. And uh, with allies and others alike, as Matthew put it, we'll ramble on with God's word as people continue to ramble on in sin. And as Jeff said, the gospel is all about Jesus, always has been, always will be. So must we be. The gospel reverses your thinking, if you think about it. It announces that dead people can live. It says that you should go away from self-centeredness and forget about yourself and look to Jesus. It reverses your self-centered thinking. It refocuses your life. Your heart wants to retaliate. God says, show mercy because you have received mercy. And as Ed just said, the gospel is something that needs to be spoken. It needs to be shared. The gospel is info worth repeating. You share what is worth repeating. Now, some of you share things that aren't worth repeating. But Christ's love compels us to lovingly say, Jesus is the only way to be saved. It blows me away that God chooses to use fragile human instruments to, to get his eternal gospel out. It should blow us away. It should make us love Jesus even more. I want you to love the gospel. I want you to love Jesus so much that you will go out in whatever sphere of influence you have and proclaim it. The challenge today is really about two ways to live. Will we live for ourselves and our own pleasure or will we live for Jesus? Let's just say you don't believe the gospel today. What's stopping you from believing this message? What is stopping you from calling upon the name of the Lord and being saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus. You will be saved. If you believe the gospel, the question is it's crucial. What are you devoted to that's hindering you from proclaiming the gospel message? We're going to give out something today as well, just like we, we encourage you to do something last week. We to, it's a simple thing. It's a tool. We've bought thousands of these before. We bought thousands more. Two ways to live. It's a little gospel pamphlet in English and in Spanish. And there's a little instruction inside. They're all outside. You can go grab a bunch of them. It's a tool, just like fishing gear. All right? Someone, a, couple, a couple families from our church are going fishing for camping and we just set them up with a bunch of fishing gear that that is not fish 
They didn't catch the fish yet. They're going to use this as a tool, okay? So use it as a tool. Share the message of the gospel this week. Paul said, we don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake.